Hello, hello, hello. Good to see y'all out there today. I really, really never dreamed, <clears throat> Ryan, I kind of can, I can understand where you're coming from. You, you don't think that a crowd like this will come to church on Christmas Eve, but here they are. So, yeah, amen, amen, hallelujah. Well, I am hitting on about, I'm hitting on eight cylinders, but the, uh, but the carburetor's not all the way open, Amen. That's about kind of where I am. It's been a it's been a rough it's been a rough um, rough ten days. I got I got pretty pretty sick uh, Friday before last and uh, was basically in bed for three or four solid days. And so it's been, it's been an interesting it's been an interesting Christmas to say the least. But it's good to be here with you today. Hopefully the kids and Angie will be will be all together uh, tonight for a candlelight service. Uh, today is a very very special Sunday. Uh, I hope you realize that because we celebrate the Lord's Day, which we do every Sunday, but we have the double blessing of also celebrating the eve of, of our Savior's birth. Amen? It's wonderful. Uh, I looked it up on the calendar, and I think it happens about every 11 years. Uh, it falls on, uh, on Sunday. Christmas Eve falls on Sunday or something like that. I think it goes six years, six years, and 11 years. You can, you can Google it and study it, but it's really, really interesting to see how that happens. But when God created the heavens and the earth, he established the seven-day week, and within the structure of those days, seasons, and years, in the fullness of time, God's Word tells us he brought his Son into the world to save us. Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that is so important that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, so why does the entire world come together during this time to make this time special? Uh, why is that the case? And it's because of Jesus Christ and the gospel that he brought us. Um, we live in a very pluralistic world today uh, where people try to make all faiths the same, all religions the same, all paths lead to the same God. That is not true uh, there is one truth, and there's one, there's one God-man that died for your salvation, and what is his name? Jesus, period. I mean, and I know it's not a popular message. Uh, I know we want to be polite, and we want to be kind, and we want to treat other religions with respect and dignity, but the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus, Jesus is the one and only Son of God, period. Uh, no one is saved but, but, but through, through him. Uh, there is nothing else like Christianity, nothing at all. It is a one-of-a-kind message. He was a one-of-a-kind Savior. Uh, no other belief system on earth gives you what Christianity does. Amen? No, no other belief system. Uh, the, and the majority, the truth is, when you look at history, the majority, now there are exceptions, but the majority of those that give Christianity an honest examination cannot deny its truth and power, and many, many come to faith when they try to challenge to, to disprove it. Now, although I did not become a Christian until my mid-20s, as a child, Christmas made a deep impression on me. Um, I don't know about you, but it, but it, but it, did, it did me. It made a deep impression. It was, it was the one time of year that everyone that I knew uh, in life and our surroundings made adjustments to their lives to honor the event. It was also the one time everyone, I hope, I hope this is true for you because it was for me, for most of my life anyway, it was the one time that everybody <clears throat> would bear with each other to get along long enough to celebrate Christmas, amen? 
I mean, we would just swallow our anger and swallow our issues from the past to sit around the table and give presents to each other and remind each other how blessed we were to have each other, at least for that moment. Amen? And then, you know, sometimes things got said, sometimes they didn't. And my family, the Hazard family, we really got into it. Uh, They really got into Christmas. Uh, They would buy literally thousands of dollars worth of presents for everyone they knew. I can remember uh, where we lived in Greenville, our house where we lived was on this long road called Bio Road, and, and there was other neighborhoods that went off that. And just about everybody we knew, our doctor, our lawyer, or just anybody that, that my parents used or that helped us or stores that we traded with, all of them lived kind of in that area out there. And so every Christmas, they would literally start a month in advance and buy thousands of dollars worth of presents and wrap them and put them under the tree And then on Christmas Eve, it was a tradition every year for years, as long as they had money, they always did this. They would would take all those presents and they would pack them into our aqua blue station wagon. Can I get a witness? (laughs) With us wearing our Christmas pajamas and every year mama had a different pajama she wanted all three of us to wear. And most time in the Mississippi Delta, at Christmas time, it was not cold. Uh, it was most time it was in the 70s. And so you're, you're packed in this vehicle and we would literally spend about two hours driving all over town, hand delivering these presents. And everybody wanted to see the hazard kids and their PJs coming up to the door, bringing the present to the house. But it was a, um, but it was a, a special time. I mean, over the years, as we continue this tradition, it was deeply imprinted in my heart and my mind while we did that everywhere. Okay, and why we did that was, was because of, of Jesus. And as you've heard me say many times, my parents were certainly not model Christians, to say the least. They weren't. But when it came to Christmas, they, they went all out. They went all out for Christmas. And they gave because they knew that Jesus was given to us by God. And they knew that, that Jesus had blessed us and that they wanted to bless others. I mean, they knew that much, amen? They knew that much, they knew that much. So why does the entire world remember him everywhere at this time every year, why? Well, I mean, because the Bible teaches it obviously, but, but there's a deeper reason. And I believe it's because that, that humanity is in trouble And I think we know that we're in trouble. Can you amen that? We're in trouble. And I think we realize it with each passing year. We we realize it every time we go to a funeral or a loved one gets sick. We see it when we look in the mirror. We see it in each other. We, We have been given a death sentence, and it ain't pretty. But because of what the majority of the world will celebrate tomorrow morning, we have been given a a new life sentence, amen? A new life sentence if you believe in Jesus. And that is why everyone does what they do. And that is because Jesus, and that's the why of Christmas, because Jesus, when it's all said and done, when the dust is all settled, Jesus is the only hope we have, period. It is the only hope we have. So why was this gift necessary? 
that's the question I always like to ask. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a why kind of guy. Are y'all a why person? I want to know why about everything. You should drive my parents crazy with that. I want to know why about everything. So why was this gift necessary? I mean, what, what happened? Well, it's, it's, it's about like trying to, to figure out any problem. You want to ask what happened. And if we're going to do that, we have to go back into the past before we were born and understand that something terrible happened with our first parents. Now, you never knew these parents like you know your parents now or, or like I knew my parents that, that drove us around delivering gifts. These were, these were ancient ancestors, ancient ancestors that lived a long, long time ago that God has kept records of so that we would understand the purpose of this incredible gift of Jesus. Their names, we know their names. The Bible gives us their names. Their names, what are their names? Adam and Eve, that's right. Their names were Adam and Eve. And they were real people. They were. And in most academic circles today, uh, especially non-theological academic circles, uh, in the modern era, try to convince everyone that they didn't exist. Okay, that's, that's one of the main things that the enemy tries to do to us is undermine uh, the Word of God, especially in Genesis and Adam and Eve. But it's not true. They most definitely existed. They existed and God created Adam out of the dirt of the ground, and he gave him, gave him life, and he took a rib from the side of Adam and fashioned his wife Eve, and all the men in the church said, amen, amen. And God put them in the garden to work, the soil, and build a life together, and they had one rule. How, would, how great would life be if you only had one rule, amen? I mean, how great would that be? One rule. Anything, anything you want to, except this one, this one, one thing, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or they would die. So about this time, humanity's mortal enemy, Satan, which as we know from other theological passages in the Bible, was a, was a fallen evil angel, came in the form of a serpent and tempted Eve. He deceived her by making her doubt God's word. She ate of the tree she was commanded not to and gave some of the food to Adam, and Adam ate as well. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were what? Opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And thank God we've come a little way since then. Amen? Amen. So they became aware, they became aware of their sin. Their eyes were opened, and they realized certain realities about themselves. Well, not long after this, God draws near them, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we want to conceal our sin. You, know, you ever notice that about yourself? Especially when you're a child, you do something you're not supposed to do, what do you try to do? You try to hide it, man. You don't want them to find out because you know it's wrong, so you try to hide it. That's, that's, that's the, the, the indication that that they're in sin here. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Notice he called the who? To the man, not the woman, but to the man. 
That's how we know male headship is critical within families, because God called Adam to account, not Eve. Now, Eve will be judged along with Adam, but when God came, he called Adam to account first. Men, you will be called to account first for the organization and the spiritual leadership of your families. Don't forget that. I heard the sound, we said, that where, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I would probably do the same thing, amen? Would you do the same thing? I, if I was naked, I would hide. So he did. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, that woman whom you gave to be with me That ain't never stopped, amen? <laughs> never stopped. That woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So it's whose fault? Not, it's really not Eve's fault. Who was behind Eve? God. It's God's fault because God gave him Eve. So he's really blaming God. Really blaming God. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So why Christmas? Why Jesus? There it is right there. I mean, there it is. I, I don't think we understand the severity of what this did to humanity and to the universe. That's why it is so important that when the higher critical circles of academia begin to tell us this is just a poem, this is just this, is just this, this is just that, it's not accurate history, it's not real, we have to stand up and scream and shout and say, yes, it is real. Because it impacted everything that's happened from that point forward. Because our first parents, our first ancestors disobeyed God in rebellion and sin, and it wrecked everything. And to this day, it is still wrecked. That's why Christmas. So God's judgment comes upon the world. Now, we don't like the J word, amen? We don't like the J word. We run from the J word. Run from it. Hate it. Don't like it. Our culture has has done everything that it possibly can to completely do away with it in our vocabulary. But it's real. And God brought it on humanity. He curses the serpent and Eve and Adam. So he curses the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock. So the serpent will be a belly crawler its entire existence and eat dust. God places enmity, which is hostility, between the serpent's offspring and Eve's. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God prophesies that one of Eve's descendants will be the one that crushes the serpent once and for all. So right here in Genesis chapter 3, the opening three verses of the Bible, we have the promise that a redeemer will come, and his name is who? Yes, Jesus. So in the curse of the serpent, the promise of Jesus is, is given first and said, he will come and crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he'll crush you, meaning he will kill you. He will kill you. Then God judges Eve. Her pain in childbearing will be multiplied. Bringing forth children will be painful. Can I get a witness, ladies, that have had children? 
You know, I joked with Angie right before, um, I think I may have told you all this before, but when we were pregnant with Logan the first time and they had scheduled when we were going to go induce, I said, well, honey, you know that part of the curse is that you're supposed to be pain, you're, you're supposed to go through pain and childbirth, so I really don't think we need to do this epidural. You know how that conversation finished, amen? Take your fundamental theology, Shelby, and you know what you can do with it, amen? Okay. So, so God judges Eve. Her pain and childbearing will be multiplied. Bringing forth children will be painful. Nobody would argue with that. Many people have seen that, yes, bearing children is painful, the actual act of physical birth, but then also raising them from an infant through the teenage years, amen? Just all of that is, is, is difficult and painful, painful. And then your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, you will fight your husband's authority, but he will rule over you. And I know we have all experienced that that are married, amen? That is a reality. I've often had a, a pastoral a leader, teacher I had in seminary summed it up beautifully. He said, in your marriage as a believer or as a non-believer, you're either going to have a Genesis 3 marriage or you're going to have an Ephesians 5 marrige. And I was like, that's incredible. There's either going to be this constant antagonism and push and shove in your marriage where you are jockeying for for who's going to be in authority, or it will be a mutually submissive relationship with Christ as your head. And I was like, wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So part of the curse is difficulty in marriage. That's part of the curse, part of it. And then finally, God judges Adam. You allowed your wife to lead you astray from God's command into sin. Now the ground is cursed because of you. You will work hard your entire life and toll the land, and eventually, not only will you have to toll in it, but eventually you're going to do what? Go back to it. And what does that mean? What's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You're going to die. So what is the problem? Why Christmas? Because the curse of God on the world. That's why. This place, in all of its beauty, and even the way that it functions somewhat, somewhat well, is still fallen and cursed until Christ returns and makes it all new. Amen? That's Christian Theology 101. So why Christmas, the curse of God on the world? Because of the rebellious actions of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, we and the entire universe are cursed. Fallenness and sin has infected everything. Everything. Humanity is estranged from God. Now, that was a long, long time ago. So has the, has the curse But the curse has been passed down from generation to generation through the fathers. And so how do we know that this curse is still in effect? Well, I can tell you firsthand that I was reminded about the curse two Fridays ago at about 1.30 in the afternoon. And I kept telling myself I wasn't sick, and I prayed to the Lord that I wouldn't be sick, and I I prayed to him, and Angie came down and said, you don't feel good. No, I don't feel good at all. By Friday night, by Saturday morning, I, I, had, I had fever, I had the shivers, I had the sweats, I had an aching headache. Am I going to experience any of that in heaven? No. That is characteristic of the fallen world in which we live 
period, period. That is how we know it is still alive and it is still well. Look at the world in which we live. Death, disease, tornadoes, floods, mass shootings, broken homes, broken lives. All my immediate family are in the grave. All of them. Now, their souls are in heaven, those that believed in Christ, that I know of. Forty years ago at this time, I would have been in Greenville, Mississippi, sitting at my grandmother's house in their fireplace, getting ready to go hunting with my brother, father, and grandfather. We would have woke up at four o'clock in the morning and drove 20 miles to our hunting club and had breakfast with them and heard all kind of crazy stories and rode with them in Papaw's old army jeep to the deer stand and stayed at the hunting camp for a couple days. No more. No more does that happen. You know why? Because this is a fallen world. And those days are gone. Most of those men are deceased. The hunting camp no longer exists. I mean, the land's there. It's there. But the hunting camp's not there anymore. This world, my friends, is passing away before our very eyes. Passing away. This world is passing away because of the fall, and there is a new world being prepared that Jesus went to prepare for us. And that's why he came to prepare us for the world he is going to bring to us. That's why Christmas. Because this world is fallen and broken and beyond repair, so Jesus came to start, to initiate, and to complete a rescue mission for his people. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of, say it with me, God. So what is the solution to the fallenness? What is the solution to the problem? Christmas. Christmas is the solution. The Redeemer has come as promised. He has come and provided himself as a ransom for sin. Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died for the sins of the world. Jesus, the Son of God. So as the church, we are squeezed in between two stages of time. That's why this is so difficult for us and so hard to understand sometimes. Because Christ ushered in the last days and in the final stage of the end times, you could argue those are both the same thing, but the last days come into the second coming, which is the end times, and we are sandwiched there. So we are operating in a world that is passing away, waiting in preparation and anticipation of the world that Jesus Christ is bringing us at the second coming. That's what the apostles were trying to prepare us for. 
They knew we were going to have a hard time with this because they had a hard time with this. The Apostle John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life, most all theologians point directly back to the fall in the Garden of Eden because that is what enticed Adam and Eve to fall. Were those things right there, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of this world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. <laughs> Peter writes this, two more passages and then we'll close. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning the second coming. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed <clears throat> from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's why Christmas. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, Adam, the we're all passing away, but of imperishable, meaning who? Jesus. Through the living and abiding word of God, verse 24, he cites Isaiah 40, 6 and 8. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's why Christmas. This world is passing away. Jesus came to make a way to the world that is coming. Not this world. We receive blessing. We receive salvation. We receive blessing in this time. Don't get me wrong. But the ultimate, the ultimate blessing and the ultimate is yet to come in Christ when he returns. That's why Christmas. One final passage, and then we will close. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And here is an incredible verse. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Christmas. Heavenly Father, we're humbled, we're overwhelmed. We're thankful, and sometimes we're just speechless as to how good you are to us and what you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this world. Lord Jesus, thank you for your obedience and your faithfulness and coming to give yourself for us. Lord, forgive us when we, when we fail you because I know what happens on a daily basis. It is so difficult for us to even begin to imagine what you've done for us through your sacrifice. Father, I pray that as we close this time, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that, that has been dealing with themselves and dealing with their own sin and dealing with their own pride and resisting you. That perhaps your word and your spirit would break through today and bring them to eternal life and help them see you, Jesus, in a way they've never seen you before. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.